Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 276. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. Richard Ryerson here. Once again, back down here in Dallas, Texas, going through the middle of my 737 training, two weeks in, and it's keeping me very busy. My apologies for not releasing the Dose of Leadership episodes on a regular basis, but I hope you can bear with me as I get through this training here, as I get done in about two or three more weeks to go, then I'll be in a more regular schedule and get back to releasing interviews on a more regular basis, and so I'm excited to get this to you, though. But we're improvising, adapting, and overcoming, which we're doing here, and we're going to talk today on Coach Michael Burt. Uh, when I was home a couple weeks ago, I had a chance to sit down and capture conversation with him and you know, finally getting it released here today. And I just love Michael Burt. I love talking with other coaches. And um, he's got a great perspective on leadership. He's called the super coach. He is. He was, he's been a coach. He's been a basketball coach. And now he's a leadership and entrepreneurial coach helping people with leadership with an entrepreneurial mindset and uh, he really is one of the go-to business coaches for uh, companies that want to be aggressive minded and want to break through mediocrity want to become more competitive want to run faster be more agile he's an author of 10 books and i love his content i mean you will not be disappointed no matter where you're at in your leadership or entrepreneurial journey um, you got to get in touch and follow this guy. He's got the uh, bestseller, Person of Interest, How to Become the Person Other People Want a Piece of and Can't Live Without. <laughs> Love that title. And he's got an online TV show called The Super Coach, which you can watch globally live each week on Tuesday on the Greatness Network. You can find that at greatnessnetwork.com. And heard through on a podcast on iTunes, Android, and Stitcher Radio. Download this stuff on your device. you got to listen to this guy. His reality TV show called Zebras and Cheetahs, is a cross between Shark Tank, Amazing Race, and The Apprentice, and uh, can be seen on the Greatness Network as well. He holds the world record, interestingly enough, for most speaking engagements in a single day with 40, which is amazing. And I love his energy, his perspective um, from his coaching acumen. He believes uh, all of us need a coach. He takes his kind of um, combining his unique, uh, uh, taking the complicated and making it simple, packaging it in a whole unique way. Um, I just love what he does, and he you need to keep an eye on him because uh, he's hes one of the good ones out there. And it was a pleasure and honor to speak with him. You're going to love the conversation. Uh, great natural back and forth, high energy, a real fun conversation. I think you can get a lot of good nuggets on leadership, life, and entrepreneurship in here. All right, thanks for being a fan of the show. And again, thank you again for your patience on my limited releases as I'm getting back in the saddle, learning how to fly the 737 for American and uh, again, I'd like to hear from you, Richard, at doseofleadership.com. You can reach out to me. Let me know where in your leadership journey. Uh, I'm still looking uh, to fill my Achieving Significance Mastermind, a unique mastermind uh, for people, a 12-month mastermind for five select individuals. I'm going to do two groups uh, looking to, again, kind of bust through mediocrity and start leading a life of significance. You know, if you're kind of stuck entrepreneurially, 
or career-wise, um, take, take a look at it at richardryerson.com where you can find all the details about my coaching and masterminding and speaking uh, products. And again, reach out to me there on the contact page or richardadosaleadership.com and subscribe to the show if you haven't done so. Thank you for being a fan. And without further ado, here's Coach Michael Burt on Dose of Leadership. Well, Coach Michael Burt, the super coach, what an honor to have you on the show. Welcome to Dose of Leadership. Thank you for having me, man. The, the people you've had on the show are amazing. I'm honored to be with you and in, in such a high esteem company. So well, great job on your podcast. Well, thank you. The honor's mine. And, and uh, I love what you do, watching your stuff, prepping for this interview and, and looking at some of your videos and reading some of your books. I love what you do, man. And I love your enthusiasm. And I love what you say that everybody needs a coach in life. You know, I never really got, I, I never set out on this journey uh to be a coach or thinking I needed a coach and how wrong I was. And so tell me how you got to that point. I mean, you're, you're a coach by trade, but how did you get to that point? Everybody needs a coach in life. You know, I found my voice very early in life at 15, began coaching at 15 at 18 was a, a little elementary basketball coach at uh, 22 was the youngest head coach in Tennessee at really one of the largest high schools. And so at that early age, I began to figure out that we all have missing structures. We can't see the picture when we're inside the frame we really need another person to help find and fill those missing structures. So uh, four or five years into that, began writing books, had no intention of coaching adults or going out into corporate America. Right. My path was going to be coach high school, win a championship, go to college, become a major division one coach. But the more I got out and spoke on the books that I was writing, the more I saw adults, that light switch come on. Mm -hmm. And the more I said, man, everybody needs a good coach because a good coach will really have conversations with you you don't want to have. They make you do some things you don't want to do. But boy, a good coach will help you become something you didn't think you could become. Yeah, you know, and being a leader, we really got to put ourselves in that coaching role. I think sometimes we don't look at ourselves in that way, but all of us are going to be called to leadership at some time in our life. And if we understand what it means to be a coach, it really helps your leadership journey. Talk to me a little bit about the differences between a coach and, say, a mentor. You know, I think a mentor is a person that's been there, done that. You go to them for counsel and advice. I really define a coach as a person that engages you in a set of systematic and consistent behaviors that allows you to do something tomorrow you just can't do today. Uh, and I put these in different buckets. I think within the next five years, every manager in America will have to be a coach. I think a leader is a person that affirms and validates the worth and potential in another person in so clear a way. They begin to see it in their own self. Leaders get by and leaders cast vision. A coach really engages you in these set of systematic behaviors. A manager solves problems and, and makes decisions. Now, this is important because you could actually be a great coach and a lousy manager. You could be a great manager and a lousy leader. I mean, and so every day when I'm coaching people, we actually have a program to, called Turn Your Managers into Coaches. I actually see the differences where this person is really good in this area, but they're really poor in this area. Yeah, and it's about finding, I think, to me, when, you st when I started studying coaching and becoming a coach myself, from a leadership aspect, it, I found that I was able to, number one, define, give me some alignment, clarity, and define my purpose, and then help other people find their purpose. I think a lot of times in the leadership aspect, we don't, we don't do that enough. If we help people find where they're supposed to sit on the bus, that's almost, um, that can just change a direction and change your culture, can change your life. It can change your world. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I agree with you. You know, when I was thinking, I wrote down while you were talking, as it comes to the coach, the leadership, they don't buy into the message until they buy into the messenger. Right. And so, you know, when you first take a leadership role, I remember many years ago, I led a seminar for SkillPath back when I first started speaking, and they assigned me this topic, Excelling as a First-Time Manager and leader. And uh, these are people who had never been in a leadership role. They had been promoted or elevated to a leadership role, but had no no experience whatsoever. And I always say, they always say, what's the first step, coach? What have I got to do? And I said, well, the first step is buy-in. Mm-hmm. They don't buy into you. They're never going to buy into your methodology. So any new contract that I start, any new coaching assignment, I work hard to get buy-in from them, to know I'm fighting for them. I believe in them. I'm there to help them. I affirm them. I see the good in them. You know, I'm, I'm there first to get them to buy into the leader because I see so many people that try to lead by just shoving their methodology onto other people, and they don't get that important buy-in early. I remember reading about Phil Jackson and Dennis Rodman. The very first meeting they ever had was at Jackson's uh, ranch house out in Dakota or somewhere. And uh, they sat there for three hours and never said a word to each other. And they got finished, and uh, Dennis Rodman said to Phil Jackson's the best conversation I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> but they understood each other. And right. from that point forward, Jackson was really able to get Rodman to do things no other coach was willing to do, which is let him be him, but in the context of a group that contributed to something bigger. And he understood, I first got to get buy-in from this guy and, and let him be who he is. And, and, you know, as you said, let him be on the right seat on the bus. Let him do what he does best because he can help us win the whole thing. Yeah, and it's letting them know that you, you care about them. And that's that's kind of a tricky part, especially when you're brand new. I think a lot of times you don't want to, you know, broach the subject of, well, I'm doing, you know, I'm trying to be their friend or I'm trying to do these these favors to get them to like me. I mean, it's not about that, but it is about showing them, um, well, personally in your own mindset, realizing that it's not about you, it's about them. And everything that you do has to be a selfless act. That takes intentionality. I mean, for my part anyway, because I'm, I'm a selfish individual. I, I'll admit that. Yeah, but you we know, all are, man. We all are. And, you know, I, I, th- I go back to this saying, they're the geese laying the golden eggs. Yeah. Content cows give more milk. You know, I always said you you give a cow a name, it'll produce 6% more milk than a cow without a name. Right. And, you know, I think we all have got to understand that our job as leaders sometimes is just to sow into our people in a consistent and regular uh, regular way. And I always brought the whole person into that. Is that when you look at a whole person, a whole person theory, they have a body, they got a mind, they've got a heart, they've got a spirit. And each of those parts produce four different needs. The body's needs to live, the mind's needs to learn, the heart's need is to love and be loved, the spirit's need is to leave a legacy. So what good is it to have skill with no desire or knowledge with no confidence? Or what good is it to be there physically but not be there with your most important parts, which is the heart and the spirit? And so leaders that don't feed those parts of a person's nature get a fragmented person who is there physically but not there with their most important parts. Yeah, well said. But even hearing that, it almost makes me think, if, if I'm dipping my foot in this leadership pool and I hear that, it's like, wow, it just seems so overwhelming. It takes so hard work. And I th- see a lot of young leaders not willing to, it, what's the point? It's going to take so long. Um, it's it's such a day after day after day after day after day process. And it just makes people not start acting. It's almost like you feel like you have to be at a certain level before you start leading, but you just need to start where you're at, Right. Yeah, I think that's what I did. I mean, I was thrown into a leadership pond 20, 21, 22 years old. I made every mistake you can make, Richard. Mm-hmm. I led through fear. 
I led through intimidation. It's just odd. I'm a little five, six bald headed guy. And, uh, but, but you know, that's the way I grew up. That's the way I learned leadership. And, and I quickly figured out that that would reach a certain level of success, but I never won any championships when I was doing that. Mm -hmm. When I started valuing the whole person, feeding the sheep, when I started feeding this, this understanding, that's really when our, my leadership went to a new level. We began to win at, a, at an all time high level because I really understood. But sometimes you just get thrown into leadership and there are, you know, there's no manuals for it. You just figure it out as you go. And I think a lot of times those mistakes that, that will inevitably come, um, those are great opportunities for the people you're leading to see you as a human being. I think a lot of times when we have that foul up or whatever, we try to cover it up. But the reality is the power comes from that vulnerability of showing, hey, wow, I really boned that up. So what do we learn from it? And when you see that, that kind of garners, I don't know, the respect and the trust that is so hard to come by. And um, I, I found anyway, those moments where I was authentic and real and I owned up the mistakes, those are the moments that kind of propelled me in the, in the leadership journey. Yeah. And I think a lot of leaders, you know, they don't show that, as you say, they, 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 they won't macho up, you know, they lead yeah, through right, power. They right. lead with the two by four versus the metaphor. And they, they just kind of just beat people up. They don't want to show weakness. We're living in an unprecedented time. Let me tell you what I'm seeing every day as a coach and leader is I'm seeing people push their people as hard as they can possibly push them. There's very little recognition of success. There's very little validation of the heart. There's very little appreciation of how hard they're working. They're having the biggest months they've ever had, and they expect them to come back next month and do it better and faster. And so one of the jobs of a leader is to stop and measure progress versus perfection. It's to sit back and say, hey, you know what? We're not where we want to be, but thank God we're not where we used to be. And that's one thing I'm seeing a lot. It's really hard for us hardcore coaches, though, to be vulnerable because, like I said, we've always been tough and we've always not shown any weakness and people come to us for strength. But uh, the vulnerability is saying, man, I just – I, I wasn't very good the other day, and I haven't told you in six years I appreciate you, but I do appreciate you, and we couldn't do it without you. Well, I agree, and I think you can be tough, and I think you can you can have the you know firm but fair and all those other things. You can certainly be demanding, but I think at the same time you got to understand. I think a lot of times people confuse that with command and control, and I've I've thought for years now, and even coming from the Marine Corps, the command and control doesn't work. Uh, mm -hmm. It's obsolete, and uh, I. I have felt that for 20 plus years and that's 10 of that's in the Marine Corps and the Marine Corps wasn't command and control. Like a lot of people think it is. I mean, the effect of Marines um, or leadership that I saw was not command and control. I was surprised to see how much command and control is still ever present in the business world. Even today. I mean, I, I'm constantly surprised at it. What is What are you seeing out there? Well, I think it comes down to a couple of problems. We got a high percentage of people on the wrong bus doing the wrong thing. And because of that, because of that, they need a lot of management. You know, you can't manage a, a person that has its own body, mind, heart, and spirit. Right. But some people show up every day and want to be managed. Tell me what to do. Tell me how to do it. You know, they, they're use, exerting very little of their own uh, mind. And so, you know, that's where the command and constro control structure comes from. It's like they don't show up with batteries included. You got to wind them up. You got to motivate them. All of their motivation is external. You know, now high-level people, the people you have on your podcast, they come with batteries included. They're ready to go. They right. don't need external. But lots of people are showing up doing the wrong thing. They haven't found their talent. They haven't found their voice. Statistics are showing that the average 20 to 30-year-old is changing jobs 24 to 37 times over the course of their lifetime. And I believe it's because nobody's helped them 
dive into what it is their true talent is. And then they can't find a home for that talent. So they get on a bus, don't like it, don't like the boss, don't like the job, get off that bus, get on another bus. What we should be doing is asking the hard questions. What do you love doing? What are you good at doing? How can you solve a problem with your talent in the world that the world would compensate you for? And so I think a lot of the command and control structures, people that show up, they just barely make it through the day or survive, and they got to have an external motivator. Yeah, and and I find that um, particularly in large organizations, that the skepticism that when you come in and you, and you want to kind of disrupt the command and control, there's a certain amount of skepticism, particularly in the ones that have been kind of told what to do all, all in all. And that and I don't know, I, I found it challenging and difficult at times when I've been in leadership roles trying to infuse a more coaching or a more uh, teacher scholar mentality instead of a boss subordinate culture. That people are still skeptical, and and to your point, some people just want to be told what to do. I don't know. I'm, I I I've that has been a big challenge for me. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I go back to one of the biggest mistakes I made as a young head coach. Is I kind of came in and said. Heads are going to roll. There's a new sheriff in town. Many of you in this room will not make it through the first week with me, and I just created fear in everybody. <laughs> right. And that's what a lot of leaders do when they first come in. They got a new sheriff in town. We're going to whip this place into shape. They don't connect or infect people with that enthusiasm. They don't get people on board. They don't sell them on the vision. And and, and I think that's a mistake that people make. And that's a mistake I certainly made that I tell people about. So I, I really believe that that you're right. It's it's about building, maintaining, and protecting the confidence of your people. It's not about destroying confidence. It's about protecting people's confidence. It's about creating a culture that everybody can can give birth to the potential of people. And it's about being a leader that people would sign up to follow. Would you follow you? Would you get excited about working for you on Monday morning? Right, right. And that's a great way. It's a great question to ask because I think, and I'm surprised too when you look at the statistics, particularly in large organizations where you got a third of the the workforce is actually engaged. So you got two thirds of the workforce that are just kind of either showing up or they're not engaged at all. It's a tremendous opportunity, and I think that's why I think command and control is obsolete because it just doesn't allow people to get engaged. But if you're coaching or you're leading in that kind of teacher-scholar culture, then you're, I think, as a leader's job, it's you're going to be you're going to be focusing your efforts on communicating where the ship is heading and why it's heading that direction. And when you get that, you start seeing a level of engagement. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you, you're connecting to the. You know, we go back to that whole person. The spirit's need is the vision. It's the right. faith. It's the belief in where we're going. We don't talk about that enough. We don't talk about where we're going enough. So people get on the on board. They just grind it out every day. They get tired. They're either in mechanical or burnout mode, and they just can't connect the dots between where they are and where they're going. And and I really believe that's a major problem we have today, from a leadership perspective. But we got to infect people with this enthusiasm. We got to build a culture you know, that is constantly, but I just did a show, a podcast today actually called, how do you remain relevant in an ADD world huh. is the problem is people will not see something through to its logical conclusion. Yeah. We're, we jump from fad to fad and person to person. And when we won't stay focused on the process is we just get bored and uh, success can be boring from time to time. You get up and kick everybody's butt and you do it again tomorrow. It's not always sexy. It's not always, you know, the process is just important as the product and we have to sell people on that. And that's why I think some people just become disengaged is because they just will not see something through to its logical conclusion. Yeah, that's why I think it's it's impossible as leaders. I've said this time and time again that I think it's impossible for leaders to over-communicate where we're going and why. 
if you consistently maniacally focus on why we're heading the direction we're doing, it kind of tackles that challenge that you're you're bringing mm-hmm. up. I mean, and I, it just drives me crazy why we don't focus on, I guess, the vision. I, and I know it gets overused, but I think that for me, it's why we're doing what we're doing and where you as a stakeholder in the organization fit in the organization, I think is critical. If I know where I fit in the organization, I'm going to feel it. And, and it's how it's supporting this mission, this vision or where we're taking it, then I feel engaged. And so I think as, as leaders, primarily that's that's your number one job is to communicate that and I don't think you I don't think you can over communicate it what do you think well well I think this I look back and like I said many of my experiences were in the athletic field but we took a place that had never won in 30 years and turned it into a place that's won five of the last seven state championships USA Today national championship team a few years ago and I used to tell people I got three jobs as the leader number one build a vision Number two, build people toward the vision. Number three, hold people accountable. Yeah. That's the only three things I do every day. And I'm still doing that today in the coaching world. We need the accountability to avoid the vicious cycle of start with good intention, fail to follow through for whatever reason, whatever variable you want to put, and then we have ensuing guilt. So the leader sometimes has to play that role of holding people accountable to where we're supposed to go because people have such an issue with just falling off the wagon because of all these extraneous variables. What do you think the biggest challenge that you see are facing leaders today? Is it any different than it was maybe 30, 40 years ago? I think today, I do think people are not as emotionally tough as they used to be. The emotional intelligence is not where it is. You know, you have to hope uh, the people with kid gloves. You know, I, I do think a lot of that's different. A lot of things I did 10 years ago as a coach you couldn't do today. We average spending five and a half hours a day with our players for four years. Imagine the impact you can have with the person spending five and a half hours a day with them for four straight years. And so you can build all, you can engineer a person to win. But now leaders get 15 minutes with their people a week. If they got a problem, say, hey, email me. We're onboarding people today with little or no structure saying, figure this out, you know, on your own. You don't get any time with the leader. When I poll people out there in the world and say, what's the number one thing you want from your manager? You know what they all say? More time with them. More time, yeah. I don't get any time. I don't get any attention. I don't get any coaching. I don't get any one-to-one. I don't get to to talk about where we're going. And so the leaders are just caught up in this current of the urgent. We talk about that in the book Zebras and Cheetahs, is they're just moving so fast they've lost connection. Uh, Last week I went and heard Kevin Elko speak, coach to Nick Saban at the University of Alabama. He said when they studied the two games they lost last year, they lost for one reason, they lost connection. They lost connection to each other. They lost connection to the head coach. They lost connection to the purpose. And uh, when he said that, I thought about this, Richard. Every customer I've ever lost, I lost because we lost connection. Every employee that ever quit, because we lost connection. Every player that ever quit on me, we lost connection. Okay? When we lose connection to our people because of the current of the urgent or whirlwind or whatever you want to call it, what happens is it greatly diminishes our ability to impact and influence another person. we got to drive up the engagement by sometimes slowing down to speed up, to reconnect with those people. I agree. I think a lot of times we think as leaders we got to have all the answers, and so that's why you find yourselves holed up in that board meeting or your office or whatever thinking you got to come up with all these solutions when the solutions are out there with your people and you would be better spent you know, walking the floor, getting to know, and connecting with your folks, as you said, because it's priceless. You can't. I just – I. I don't know why we get, well, I know why, because I'm guilty of it too. We get sucked into that, you know, churn, as you, as you mentioned, and we just feel like we, there's too many things going on and it's about to fall apart when reality is, let's just slow down a little bit. It's going to take care of itself. And if you focus on that connection, I love what you said there. 
You got to well, get back to the connection. You know, I did a whole session for a big mortgage company, Churchill, not long ago called Feed My Sheep, Feed Feed Your Sheep. And it was around it was around the story of the Bible of Jesus telling Peter. He asked him three times, Do you believe do you know, do you believe in me? Do you love me? He said, Yes. Yes, Lord, I love you. And all three times, what did he say? He said, Feed my sheep, tend to my lambs, and feed my sheep. Well, what we do is we don't spend enough time feeding our sheep. Yeah. And we don't spend enough time tending to the lambs. Those are the newbies. And and so so because of that, we send people out in the world drastically underprepared. They need more time and attention. I worked in the prison system of Tennessee for four years to rehabilitate offenders. The number one problem is that people, 98% of people that go to prison get out, but then they turn around and go back to prison because there's no rehabilitation. And when I step back and studied the model, it's no different than corporate America, that they have correctional officers that supervise. Supervision is nothing more than making sure nobody hurts themselves or hurt each other, right? Right. <laughs> and that's what a lot of managers and leaders do. Hey, let's nobody hurt each other or hurt themselves. But no transformation can take place when you're just supervising. The transformation takes place when you have a coach that is engaging with you in a set of systematic and consistent behaviors. So we took the correctional officer that was with the offender for eight hours a day. We turned, we put the correctional officer through 64 hours of training with me. They took my book, This Ain't No Practice Life, for 32 straight weeks. They showed a video of me. They, they read my book, This Ain't No Practice Life. The correctional officer became a coach and coached those people. Now we're waiting on the stats to see if that got them out of prison and can keep them out through better rehabilitating. We're spending double the amount on prison systems than we are on education in this country. And I'm not saying that's a solution, but it's a whole lot better than just having a supervisor or just a correctional officer there to make sure nobody hurts themselves or hurts each other. Well, yeah, it's a great it's a, a great analogy, I guess, compared to you, you get eight hours to try to some, do something different. And if you're going to do something different, you might as well, like you said, feed the sheep, you know, take care of the sheep, do something um, instead of just supervising. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. And, I, and that's a great analogy or it's analogous to what we do uh, in business and in life. I know I think a lot of times we don't see ourselves. I can, I can see how people, particularly managers, would say, I don't know, who am I to coach? I'm not, I still, I'm screwed up myself. How can I, who am I to coach somebody into becoming better when I'm trying to figure it out myself? What do you say to that? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I mean, we, I guess what we found out in the prison system is that many of the people that were behind bars, locked up in a maximum security prison, said that they had themselves more uh, better together than the, than the correctional officer. <laughs> right. <laughs> they right. said, this is a person that's going to coach me. So here's the deal. You're a pilot, and, and I look at I look at how many hours of training, because I fly all over the country, and I'm like, you know, I always wonder how much training did the guy up front fly this plane? Because <laughs> right, right. that's a big deal, getting that many people from point A to point B. You look at the number of hours of training you had to be a pilot. Yeah. You look at uh, even truck drivers have a number of hours they have to go through every year to be a professional truck driver. Even embalmers, people that are embalming people that have just died, have X number of hours per year. But look at how much how much training some of the people in the business world have. Yeah. Exactly. They don't have any. They're no. not trained. They're not coached. They're not. They're not. They're not grown. So so that's really the problem. Is that many of the managers don't know how to think like a coach. They don't know how to respond like a coach. They don't know how to recruit and attract like a coach. Develop, coach and develop talent like a coach. They don't know how to retain like a good coach. So that's one reason we developed the program, Turn Your Managers Into Coaches. I just see that as a trend that every manager in America will have to be this great coach uh, as part of their new role. I agree with you. And I think a lot of times, what did it for me 
when uh, and I fell into coaching when I, my first client and I was working with him and we were about three months in and I just remember having this um, insecurity about gosh you know this guy seems way more successful than me and he's wanted me to coach him and help him and he finally said to me one day I kind of said you know why do you need a coach I asked him about three months into it and I kind of said you know you you guys know me I'm still trying to figure things out myself and he said well and he said look Nolan Ryan's coach couldn't throw a ball as fast as Nolan Ryan, mm-hmm. but Nolan Ryan's coach could see, you know, why maybe he wasn't, you know, hitting his peak performance or whatever, you know, and, and that was a kind of a wake up call to me. And you're absolutely right. I mean, a, a professional golf coach can't play golf like the, the, the student he's coaching. Right. And so but it's just ha- kind of removing yourself and seeing things that the person or the athlete or the, the client can't see themselves. And I think, and then understanding as myself, needing a coach myself, those were the two big wake-up calls that I found for myself that really changed things for me. Well, the concept I like to use was in a new book uh, called The Originals. I think it was Adam Grant, Vuja Day. <laughs> we know of de- we know of deja vu, right? As, right. as we we we've been there, we've experienced this before. Vuja Day is where you bring a fresh set of eyes to an old and tired perspective. And, and that's what a good coach really does is that uh, I go back to saying this. You can't see the picture when you're inside the frame. You can't stir the pot when you're inside the bowl. I believe every person needs an outsider that is looking at their life and at their business. It wasn't a person that was in the mortgage business uh, or in real estate that predicted the housing bubble. It right. was a, a MD. That if you watch the big short, it was a person that was not in the industry that saw it. He was an outsider. It was a person that did not write comedies, uh, that saw Seinfeld as being a hit when nobody else could see it. It went on to produce a billion dollars of revenue. So sometimes we need outside fresh perspectives. We need the vuja day of another person to come along and go, man, I don't understand why you're doing it this way. Uh, and I like to tell people I don't copy and paste what other people in your industry is doing. I'm coaching some of the biggest financial advisors in the world, but I don't sell uh, investments. I'm coaching some of the biggest mortgage people in the world, but I don't sell mortgages. And so the way I can do that is because I actually bring a fresh and unique perspective to their old way of thinking. All the other coaches in their industry, many times just tell them to do the same thing everybody else is doing. Right. I love that. Who are your um, heroes? Who do you look up to? Who, who have always been maybe your influences to get you where you're at today? Well, the leadership, there's no doubt. 18 years old, I began to study Covey's work. I became a huge disciple to Covey. For for 10 years, I really dug in and read everything he ever wrote, uh, everything he ever said. That that probably catapulted me to where I am today because it, it, it deeply ingrained in me that whole person theory, primary versus secondary greatness, principle-centered leadership, the seven habits, and then the eighth habit. It kind of gave me a foundation, and I always said when I become a leader of organization, I'm going to teach everybody those seven habits. We're going to we're going to we're going to live by these timeless principles, and so that, that was really my guide for a number of years, uh, especially during my very formative leadership years. You know, 18, 19, 20, uh, I had to reread it. It's very complicated for an 18-year-old to read. Right. I always thought paradigm was paradigma. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I, but I went back and dug in. And, and, that's, and I don't see that enough. Because we're such an ADD world, we jump around from person to person. I really suggest that people get one guru they're going to study, dig in as deep as they can, let it deeply influence them. And then a natural leadership cycle should be you look out to emulate somebody you deeply respect. You look in to figure out. I know you had – was it was it uh, the leadership challenge? I know you had those guys on your show. 
And um, they said, what? You look out to emulate somebody else. You look in to figure out what it is you want to be, and then hopefully you move on and people want to emulate you. And uh, that was really the process I went through with Covey. And, and since then, there's been a number of people that have been very diverse that have influenced me in my entrepreneurial thinking with my coaching background. Well, I love it. What? Are, how can people get in touch with you? How can they learn more about what, what you do? I mean, you got a fabulous website. I love your programs. I love what you do. How can people connect with you? I think the easiest way is just go to coachbert.com. You can obviously follow me on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. Just search Coach Michael Burt on podcast. We do a weekly show called Super Coach. You can download that. Every week I tackle uh, difficult things that are out there in the world. Today we did how to remain relevant in an ADD world. We have lots of big-time guests on the show just like you do. And uh, we just like to spend time with talent, man. We like to get better every week, and that's why it's such an honor for me to be on your show because uh, you had the big boys and big girls on here. Uh, so well. I appreciate you. Appreciate you letting a newcomer like me be on with you. Oh, uh, well, I mean, I can, you know, I love highlighting people like yourself on the show. This is, I love your enthusiasm. It is very infectious. And again, I love your work. I love what you stand for. Uh, you always have a welcome home here at Dose of Leadership. I have links to all this on the post. And Michael, it was an honor to meet you. I look forward to staying in touch with you and possibly working with you in the future. And uh, thanks for coming on the show. Everybody needs a good dose of leadership, man. Great time, <laughs> title, and great show. Thank Amen. you. All right. See you. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. Hope you're finding some great value in Dose of Leadership. Hey, go check out my website, doseofleadership.com. Get your free access to some videos or to my free ebook. Also, check out richardryerson.com if you're interested in one-on-one -on -one coaching, group coaching, seminars, or you're needing somebody to speak at your next event. I'm always available. Check out more at richardryerson.com. Let me know where you're at in your leadership journey. I'd love to hear from you. Richard at doseofleadership.com. It's a great way to get in touch with me. Find me on my Facebook page, LinkedIn, Twitter, Get in touch with me. We'll make it a great one.